Welcome to the Life in the Red podcast presented by the Lincoln Journal Star, your source for Husker news, analysis, and more. From football in the fall to recruiting in the summer, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Bassnett, Parker Gabriel, and Stephen M. Sipple. Three, two, one. Welcome in. Life in the Red podcast. I was about to call it the Husker Extra podcast, but I caught myself. It's the Life in the Red podcast. Old habits die hard. I'm Chris. There's Parker. There's Steve. It's hat day uh, in the Lincoln Journal Star Sports Department. So we're all wearing our hats today, even though we're in separate buildings, separate domiciles right now. It is 12.17 p.m. on Thursday, March 3rd. We're going a little early today. The sun is shining in. We're going to record you guys a podcast. we got a ton of stuff to talk about. Spring football is underway. We had the, the first press conference of the spring on Monday. We're going to talk a lot about that because we covered a lot of ground. That day, we're going to talk hoops, uh, winners of two in a row, one regular season game left. We're going to talk baseball, who is currently on a bus to uh, Texas right now. They left at five in the morning. Uh, they still got about five hours to go before they reach their destination. So that's how whenever you listen to this podcast, they will still be on the bus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. As Will Bolt said yesterday, the game will test you. And then he kind of smiled. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So, yeah, let's get into it. We had a massive – we had the Firehose press conference on Monday. We talked to Scott Frost. We talked to Eric Shenander, uh, Mark Whipple, Mickey Joseph, um, Bill Bush, uh, Brian Applewhite. Um, who else am I forgetting? Name them all. Sean Name them yep. Name them all. Basically, everybody who's ever coached for Nebraska was at this at this press conference. <laughs> they lost yep. several players. Talked to Nelson so, Barnes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Adolph Lewandowski was there back from the dead. Um, <laughs> is his name Adolph? I thought it was AJ. AJ. I think it's, it's AJ, but I think his first name's Adolph. Okay. That's he was history there. Lesson. He was there. Um, they dug up his corpse and brought him to the press conference. That's so, good. That's, that's, that's not offensive that's at all. No, <laughs> it's offensive at all. Uh, so all, we'll lead it off with this. We had all these assistants there. <clears throat> excuse me. We had all these assistants there Monday. <laughs> And simple, you you proposed this question before we started. Who, who is the most interesting assistant coach this year in your eyes? I'll lead it off because I already gave you guys my answer. I, yeah, I think, lead it off. I want to hear what you say. Lead it off. I'm a lead off. Lead off. I'm a contact guy. I get on base. Um, Slap the ball down. Saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm going Mark Whipple, uh, and it's it's probably because I'm biased, but I haven't talked to him yet, but. I love a dude that's like so just so like old and secure in what he's doing that he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'll just come hang out. I'll tell you who took the first team snaps with the quarterback. Like, doesn't matter. You know, I don't care. I just like that he's he seems so like what's the word? I'm just so comfortable. Like you can tell he's been doing it for a long time. You know, not that he doesn't take what he's doing seriously. He clearly does. And he's very good at it. But it's just I think it's just fascinating to kind of watch him hold court. You know, he'll, he'll lean back and cross his arms. And, you know, if he, if he could, he'd probably kick his feet up on a, on the table or on a, on a footrest or something like he's just totally at ease in this situation, which, which isn't always the case for guys that come to Nebraska for the first time. And there there's 20, there's 20 or 30 media members standing around you hang on your every word. So yeah, for me, it's, for me, it's Whipple. He's been doing it a long time. He's obviously got a, a big project, an important project in front of him this year. And so far, he just seems to handle it in a manner that just is fascinating to me with the way he's so relaxed about it. Well, yeah, think about the magnitude of the situation. Think about 
Now, this is a guy that could be winding up his career. He could be retired. Right? He's living in Arizona. Yeah. Think about what could happen if it goes really well. And what, and now I don't know what Mark Whipple would say about what's defined his career, but he could have a very career defining final stage of his career. If he would turn around, if, okay, if Mark Whipple is the guy you point to as turning around, helping turn around Nebraska, you know, we're talking about offense, but helping turn around the ship. I mean, he's been entrusted with the offense. Man, I mean, what a late career development that would be. Now, you could say, Parker, you could say, well, he already did that at Pitt. Yeah, but I would say doing it at Pitt is one thing. No disrespect to the program. Doing it in Nebraska is a, is a little more than that. Yeah, you know, Pitt didn't have 80 people at their spring press conference, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, probably part of the reason why he took the job, right? I mean, when he was asked why, he, he said pretty flatly because it's, it's Nebraska. Um one of the things you guys might find this interesting. I, I hadn't I haven't read this anywhere yet, but one of the things that he was asked about, one of many things on Monday, was um, the process of you know you got. So he came from Pitt, obviously you know a lot of experience in the NFL, uh, all of that. You've got Scott Frost uh, in that offensive meeting room still. Brian Applewhite came from uh, TCU and also. Um, has been a couple of other places. Uh, you have Mickey Joseph came from LSU. So the question was, ostensibly, you've got all of these um, different ideas. Like, how do you sort of sort through them? And Whipple was like, sort of to Baz's point about being confident in what you're doing, Whipple was like, well, what he said was, yeah, I mean, it's not like we're just throwing stuff against the wall. Like, it's proven. It works. The stuff that we have, the stuff that we're installing, it works. Um, you got to teach it to the kids. You got to run it right. But like, we're not, he basically was like, I've been doing this a long time. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're teaching kids stuff that works. And now any coach will tell you that. Um, but I just think it's, it's a very, it is, it's a really short timeline to try to put all of this together. Bunch of new coaches on offense from different places um, some new terminology, a new play caller, a new quarterback, um, new players at virtually every position. Like it, the, on paper, it seems like a long shot that it's just all going to come together without much trouble and you'll be off and running and scoring 35 or 38 a game. Um, yeah. But when you ask Whipple about that, he's just sort of like, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it work? Why can't we do it? Um, so he had a lot of interesting things to say, said overall, they're faster than, than they were at Pitt. That's a Pitt offense that scored 42 points a game and was third in the country in, in scoring last year. Um, said they have more than enough talent at quarterback. Um, he said that that was interesting. That was interesting. Yeah. He's really, it's very interesting. Cause he's, he's, he's a cut. He's, he's very, can be straight to the point. Um, in terms of like his approach and what he wants to do. But he also, like, he made this joke in December about how he must be too nice because at one, one time he had seven quarterbacks in his room and none of them transferred. Um, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I guess none of them wanted to leave because I just must be too nice of a guy or something like that. But you can tell – I think you can tell – I've only – you know, we've had two sort of extended discussions with him, and you can tell why guys like playing for him. I mean, he's, he's very supportive and very complimentary of the Nebraska group so far and just said – he likes the attitude. He thinks he said they got big, 
big eyes and big ears and the, you know, eyes wide open kind of thing. They're, 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 they're doing all the right things and it's going to be a big old experiment. I just, I love his approach. Like I just love his approach and you you touched on it. Just like, it's, it's so like, it just, it it feels like it puts guys at ease, right? Like it feels like it puts like, he's obviously he's talking to us, but it feels like the way he approaches it, it like puts his players to ease too. Like he makes them, feel comfortable while they're learning this, which is probably going to be a big, well, it is going to be a big part of this, trying to pick this up in such a short amount of time. But just, it's, I'd love to watch him at a practice because I think it would just be really interesting to watch. And and well, I don't mean this as, as, a, as a slide or anything against anybody else, but I, I just think it's a different approach than what Mario Verduzco had, you know, with his big test and, and, and everything else. It just feels like it's, it's probably a, a breath of fresh air for a lot of those guys. Well, I mean, here's the thing about him, and this is what we're talking about, is he does really project confidence. Yeah. And, and what, I, what – now, Parker saw this, and I was probably a little more taken with it than Parker, but when he, when he was in front of the Lincoln High School Coaches Association gathering a couple of weeks ago, I, I mean, what, what really – occurs to you is that these guys operate on a much higher level than us. I mean, they, they, they and he, and he's no really, he's really good in that kind of setting. Like he's, and, and his knowledge comes out just to things he almost says offhandedly. You're like, Oh God. Yeah. He knows this guy really knows what he's talking about. I really don't understand football. Like I probably should, you know, at, at my age. Um, but the, yeah, Baz, that's what you're getting at. Is he? And I think yeah. that's what Parker's getting in a way. He he does project a lot of confidence, and I think he just knows a lot. I mean, yeah. think about his career. His career's been fascinating. If you go through what he's done, I mean, he's two times a head coach at UMass, two times a head coach. I mean, then he, he's been in the NFL with the Steelers and the Eagles and the Browns. I mean, he was a he was a play caller at at Miami, um, and then of course other places too, Arizona Wranglers. He was with, he was at Brown university where he graduated. So it's a very disparate kind of strange vagabond road. He's traveled to Nebraska, you know, now he's at Nebraska and, it, and what's this going to look like? How, I mean, could Whipple become a central figure in the resurgence and then, and then become a big part of a program's rich history. It'd be a really, it'd be a, I don't know if it would be an incredible story, but it'd be a very, very interesting story. Yeah. All right. Maybe, maybe incredible. Maybe. I, I mean, in the context of how this team has performed over the last three years, it would be incredible. And now you're asking him to turn it around, you know, I, from that sense, certainly. Yeah. What if he does, you know, I mean, what if, what if he orchestrates this? That's just it. Like, like he's really got nothing to lose. Like if he doesn't, it's like, well, I had one foot in retirement anyway. I'll still live in Arizona. It's fine. But if he does, oh boy, now, now, now you got that, that last kind of closing chapter on your career and you, you're right off into the sunset. So yeah, it's, that's, you, you nailed it. It's just the, the confidence with which he operates that, that really just appeals to me, I think. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Simple. Uh, number two on the list. Yeah. Go ahead, Parker. Go ahead, Parker. Go. Well, no, cause I, 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 I want to know who you think and then I'll pick someone different. Number two on the list. It's tough. I mean, because because they're they're all pretty interesting hires in their own right. It's hard. It's hard for me not to pick Mickey. And I, and I and I and I'm not going to belabor the point. It's just simply 
I say Mickey because of the way he's taken this kind of the fan base by storm. You know, he's yeah. he's sort of this this very oh he's an appealing figure because he projects confidence. He's real he's really well spoken. He tends to just fire you up. You know, just just listening to him in a in a press setting kind of fires you up. So he fires up the kids. What he says resonates with a lot of people. And yeah, I'd say he's he's the one who's of all of them that's taken the fan base by storm by far more than the others. Is he is he more popular now than he was when he was playing here? Yeah. That's a great question. I'd say yes. Yeah. You know, I think I he only think so up, too. Yeah, I think he only ended up starting uh nine games maybe 11 in that yeah. range. I mean, he didn't, he didn't nail down the starting job for six years, like Adrian Martinez. <laughs> uh, he, he nailed it down for nine or 10 games. So yeah, I would say, I would say he is, he gets a lot of mileage from what he did at LSU, which is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. It's interesting too with Mickey. I mean, you knew this, like you, you, you know this, but then when you see it in person, it just, the potential impact really hits home in terms of the recruiting front. I mean, especially when with the way that Nebraska has struggled the last couple of cycles, at least to recruit uh, in the Omaha area and in general, um, you know, in, in St. Louis and in Kansas city, like areas, cities, metropolitan areas, right in Nebraska's backyard that they have to get more out of. Um, And when you've got, now you've got Mickey recruiting in Omaha um, and in St. Louis and Bill Bush recruiting in Kansas City, it just it's sort of like I know that that gets talked about a lot and it does certainly doesn't go undercovered. But I, it will be very interesting to look back. Um, obviously, some of it's going to depend on coaching staff continuity and how quickly uh, if they have success and how quickly um, and all of that. But like if this all works, if this all ends up working. Um, with these guys, I just think the work that Mickey has already done and will continue to do on the recruiting trail is going to be a big part of um, the story too. Uh, and I just, I just mentioned him, but I'll tell I think you could, you could make an argument for, for Brian Applewhite because of the position he's coaching and, and all of the guys and options that they have in that room to sort through, but I'll take, I'll take Bush, uh, Bill Bush. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly because you know, Bush and Whipple are the guys that are sort of in unprecedented spots as it pertains to Scott Frost, the head coach, right? Like he's never turned the offense over to somebody and as a, he's been a play caller for a long time and now he's handing those reins to Mickey. He's never yep. designated a spot on his staff solely to special teams and now he's doing that with Bill. And so those two, to me, are just – they're the most radically different from the structure that Scott's had in his organization um, in the sixth, now going into his seventh year as a, as a head coach. And that uh, matters a lot. And when you listen to Bill, like I think Baz, you were in the, you were at the Bill Bush table, right? Yeah. Like you can just, it just, I don't know if it's going to work. You know, the proof will, will have to be in the pudding obviously, but like if you come away from with one thing, listening to Bill, it's that, the it that group is not going to be lacking for detailed knowledge. I mean, the, the attention to detail is oh um, yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. it's incredible, you know. And it, I 
I don't know. It's hard for me to sit here and say like that, it, that Mike Dawson didn't do that or that that's that is an area they've lacked in or whatever. I don't know. I don't really know that Mike Dawson is considered a good special, you know, he's done good work on special teams in places he's been before, but like to have that person and now to actually be starting every morning with a special teams meeting and to actually start day one of spring ball with a special teams period. Um, that's not something that's not an emphasis that's ever, no matter how much you got talked about last year, that's just not the way they operated. And so that to have that and to really sort of sell out on that and then to have a guy who it's his job, you know, I, I think he's probably going to have some say on the travel roster. I think he's probably, I think the assistants largely will trust him to say who he needs in terms of, you know, starters or, or contributors or whatever to play on those units. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very, it's just sort of like Whipple. Um, he projects a lot of confidence that it's going to work and it's going to be interesting to see if they can actually carry that through and, and have it work. Oh, you said something really important. I had two things. Now, you guys know this from being around football, but not never everybody knows it. That special teams meeting to begin the day and that special teams coach has a huge can have a huge impact on a program. And Bill Bush is very mindful of that. So he hasn't come into that meeting sleepy eyed, half awake, um, thinking about, you know, something that happened at home. It's all it's go time now at 659 a.m. or whatever, whatever they're, they're, they're doing, which I think is what it is. They close the doors right? for the meeting room at 659. Yep. Yeah. At 659, it's it's energy time. Yeah. Um, he's charged up and he wants his players to be. He tells a story about how he went to the Garth Brooks concert and had really good seats, like second row on the field, you know. And he tells a story about how he was there and his, he and his wife got into it, you know, like with the rest of the most of the rest of the crowd, but the there was a couple that he didn't know that were sitting next to him in their fifties. And they just sat there. They sat there the whole time. Never, never showed any, just, just sat there. Like there was nothing going on. And Bill said, it's one thing to attend a meeting. It's another thing to be in it, be energized, be, be part of this. Don't just come in there and slump in your seat with your, with your hood up, which I don't think they allow, but the, that, that I thought that was a good, that was good. And that's what it's, that's what it's gotta be. Don't. And you want guys to walk in there early. Now, as far as Applewhite goes, and again, this is more probably an age thing that I contemplate things like this um, more than you guys do. Um, but think about, I think about Applewhite's career and the places he's been. It's, it's, to me, it's fascinating. So he was in Laramie from 2000, Laramie, Wyoming, from 2003 to 2008. Then he went to Montana State. Where's that, Parker? Where's Montana State? Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> okay, so he's, he went from Laramie to Bozeman to – then he went to Monroe, Louisiana. <laughs> um, I just can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine. I think it would be kind of fun in a way. From Bobcat Stadium on Kagey Avenue in Bozeman. You're just going to complete outposts. Everywhere he's been has been mostly an outpost. Then he went to Fort Collins, Colorado for five years. Then to TCU, which I don't, I wouldn't call Fort Worth an outpost. Um, Not quite. If you, if you lived in Dallas, you might, but the, and then, then Lincoln, Nebraska. So, I mean, honey, it could be kind of a strange ride here. 
Um, and he, that's what he's had. <coughs> that those places, that's really interesting. So he's had to recruit to some tough places, you know? I mean, he's had, you have to recruit to Laramie, Wyoming and Bozeman and Monroe, Louisiana. It should be, it should be a lot easier recruiting to Lincoln. You'd think. Assuming they yes. don't go three and nine every year, right? Well, yeah. Well, if they go three and nine, he's not going to be recruiting to Lincoln very long, probably. Good point, Foot Joy. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> probably need some, speaking of feet, you probably need like some orthotics in your shoes, don't you? It's probably tough for you. Um, flat feet. I don't know. My feet are doing all right. Addled. Constant pain from their I'm joints. Not addled completely at this point. Have you ever been to any of those places, Sipple? Yes, Laramie. 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 Yeah, let's not Laramie. talk about Laramie. We don't need to do that. Oh. Rask played at, at Wyoming. That's right, at Wyoming. You, yeah. you got here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. yeah, I went to Laramie as a teen. that as I said it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, to, the teenage trip. I remember this. I've heard this. We aren't, we're not doing that, though. We're really um, talent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought um, I've Bush had probably the two best. Yeah. What? I haven't either. Uh, I thought Bush had, like, the two best quotes of the day Monday. He And you share some of them. Sip. One of them was – don't confuse attendance with accomplishment, which speaks yeah. to don't just show up. You know, you got to accomplish something when you're there. Uh, his something he tells his guys all the time. And he said his three favorite people in the world are his wife, his daughter, and the punt returner. So <laughs> he said it takes a dude to return punts. And look, we, we've seen it from Nebraska the last few years when it comes to returning a kick of any type. So I, I thought that it, A, it was a great quote, and B, it kind of tells you what, what, his thought process is he's kind of putting all this together. God, I mean, I, I, what I say about punt returners when Nebraska had like, I don't know, Baz DPE was obviously one. Um, yeah. This is before Parker's time. Demorne Pearson D. L. Was that was that right be, before you? Uh, I was here for DPE's senior season. Okay, but he wasn't as. I mean, he Tailed had a couple off. of nice returns. But yeah, he, he was, he was off the broken leg and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But see, I compare – you know what I compared to Mornay Pearson L and his prime and any good punt returner, you know, I'll, I'll just say Johnny Rogers. How about – or, or Dewan, Dewan Gross. Dewan what, Gross. What they, yeah. rem, what they remind me of is when Sosa and McGuire were going head-to-head in the home run battle, that you would not go to the concession stand at that time. Um, when they were coming to bat, you were in your seat and you're watching when those guys return punt when return when DP was going good, you, that's not the time to go to the concession. No, it was magic. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. And it was and, and, and punt returns are exciting. I mean, the, if a guy's good at that, it's exciting. It's a real exciting part of the game. So I, yeah, hopefully I think, is it, are we are looking at Trey Palmer Parker? Is that who we're looking at? Probably, probably. Yeah, he actually um, he listed some of the guys that were doing it. He said uh, Palmer, Tommy Hill. He said Oliver Martin did a nice job catching the ball last year for the most part, but he needed more help in having room to operate. And then he said he's going to have Brody Belt involved in that as well. Okay, uh, Trey Palmer, Oliver Martin, Brody Belt, and who was the other one? Tommy Hill. Is oh, the guy yeah, who he mentioned after Palmer. It's interesting. Cody Bell. Things, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, there's a lot of talk. Sometimes, like, I mean, sort of common themes emerge, right? And, and one of the things, you know, Frost talked about being energized again on Monday and feeling that um, 
you know, feeling that energy from new coaches and all of that. One of the things I think I was thinking about this with Bush, like when you, when you listen to somebody who is clearly very passionate about what they do, you sort of inherently are more interested than you might otherwise be like that, that there's this thing and it's a skill, I think probably. And that doesn't mean, I mean, like, look, people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, kool-aid and sunshine pumping and all that it's not that i don't know if it's going to work i don't but i think when you listen to a guy like bush you can understand why he gets players to buy in on special teams um because it's so clear that it matters to him and that it, it, it's easier for it to matter to you like he was he told that story i thought it was funny like about um you know the average yards per hop on a punt you know, if yeah. a punt bounces once, it's going to roll 16 to 18 yards on average. And so if you stop a punt on one hop, you probably, you know, saved. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. First downs. And he's, he yeah. said, you know, if you went, if you went back there and you, you're a punt returner only and you feel that a punt on one hop, he's like, after the game, you go down to meet your parents by the Brooke Berenger statue. And you say, hey, mom and dad, did you see me? Did you see me one hop feel that punt and save 15 yards? They're probably going to be like, he said, they're probably going to be like, what? Yeah. He goes, but that's a big Great play. Job. It matters. And, yeah. you know, it's same sort of thing talking about, you know, his eyes got big when he was talking about um, Zach Winemaster rising from the number seven kickoff team to the number one kickoff team. You know, he like talked about it in a meeting. So I don't know. I mean, like I say, I don't know if that means it's all going to work, but clearly – a couple of the new guys have made their impact felt if in, I mean, in other ways too, but publicly just by their zest for what they do. Well, think about it. Think about the guys we're talking about as the best recruiters, Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph. What, and what do you think, how do you think those guys would do in a salesman role in this world? Good. Real good. good. Yeah. They'd probably be freaky good salesmen. Well, they are. They're good salesmen. Yeah, they're good right. recruiters. Yeah. Um, and, and they're very enthusiastic about their individual roles. So it all ties, it all ties together. You know? Yeah. Not everybody. Now, some guys are enthusiastic. They don't have the charisma. Those guys both have a lot of charisma. So they got all of it, you know? Um, so yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. And I get it. We could sit here. You know, one, one thing we could do here is literally, have Kool-Aid glasses with red Kool-Aid. Um, that maybe we can do that next week. We'll do yeah, that after the spring look, game. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can. I we can. Uh, idea. We could sprinkle a little salt in the Kool-Aid if you want to talk about the picture interior defensive line for Nebraska this spring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sprinkle a little salt in the whole trenches conversation. If if you're yeah, having right. a big picture Nebraska conversation, which we don't need to go into because I think we've done this, but. I mean, I, I, I talk to Parker about it a lot. If you if you're con, if you're concerned about Nebraska football, your concern should start in the trenches. Yeah. And that's not a that's not a comfortable thing. Not in this league. I, if if this was the Pac-12 or the American Athletic Conference or Conference USA, I'll disparage a bunch of conferences here. Um, Do it. It wouldn't it wouldn't be so it wouldn't be such a pressing thing. Big Twelve. <laughs> But but here but here it, it, it you can't be light there you can't be light and they look a little light to me yeah 
know? Yeah, numbers-wise so, and performance-wise. I mean, on offense, on offense, it's mostly performance-wise. Um, you've got a lot of guys. Uh, yeah, they do Frost got guys. Is, is yeah. clearly hoping that Donovan Rayola, who, who could have qualified for our most interesting assistant coach list as well, um, clearly hoping that, a, that a, a new voice sort of like sparks something with some of their young guys. Um, but on defense, it's a numbers conversation as much as anything. I mean, you like it's you, you, there's plenty of room for Casey Rogers and Ty Robinson to both get better. Um, but you like what them as a starting point. It's just, what do you have after that? You know, someone um, tried to sort of put Nash Hupmacher in the top guys category. Mike Dawson really quickly was like, no, 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 no. He's, he's still young. He's played in a couple games. That's it. You know? So they got a bunch of that's that's two. They have two experienced guys on the defensive line. One of them's not participating this spring because he's hurt. In Casey Rogers, ba- so, Baz, ba- yeah, Baz notices this. I'm sure we, we do this in this market. We'll do that with a guy like Nash Hutmacher. Well, he got in a couple games, so he's a proven veteran. We do that with Teddy. Yep. Yeah, we do that with Teddy Prohaska. He's yep. played a game we and a half. We did it with Corcoran. Yeah, we did it with yeah. Corcoran. Yeah, he's played. Teddy Prohaska's played a game and a half, and we talk about him like he's a staple guy. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. It, it's yeah, I mean, it's they don't have a lot of that up front. It's probably you fine. Can find a bunch of it. They'll probably be fine. Come on, <laughs> I'm sure. it's going to get better. That's what it's it's gonna, for three for for each off season of Frost tenure. I I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, "Well, they'll be better on the offensive line." Why? Like yeah. what? What <clears throat> prompts yeah. you to think that? I mean, maybe they will be. There's no guarantee. Well, Baz, is it hoops time? Uh, no, we need to touch on one more thing. Speaking of uh, talent acquisition, junior day coming up here soon, this weekend. That's right. Yeah, yeah, this Saturday. Weekend. On Saturday over at the stadium, uh, Nebraska's going to have a ton of guys in town uh, as they as they kind of move forward with the recruiting efforts here. Parker, what's kind of your take on what's going to be happening Saturday over at the stadium? Yeah, it's kind of – it's. They like these this time of year even more than in January because the guys are practicing. You know, they're going to have a junior day and they're all going to be at Memorial Stadium and Nebraska is going to be out on the field practicing and you get to see, you know, the, the kids that are attending the junior day get to see what it looks like for real. So, and it's uh, practice number three. So they'll be um, not in full pads, but they'll have shoulder pads on and stuff, be able to hit a little bit. Um, the, the, there's a bunch of guys. Um, they're coming to town. It's a pretty good list. Uh, in terms of, you know, they've already got three in-state uh, guys in in the class in um, uh, Gunnar Gatula and Sam Sledge and then Ben Bramer, the tight end from Pierce for 23. They've got the two, I would say the two biggest targets, the two other guys that they've offered uh, coming to campus this weekend, Malachi Coleman from Lincoln East and Maverick Noonan. Uh, Elkhorn South, obviously Danny Noonan's kid, who, by the way, in February picked up an offer from Stanford. Uh, you might have heard of it. Um, so, the, and then they've got a bunch of guys. Um, they've got actually, I think, five offensive linemen um, from sort of around the Midwest, a couple from St. Louis, uh, one Logan Reichert, who's a top 100 player, according to Rivals, um, who's from Kansas City, kid from Fort Collins, kid from Lawrence, Kansas a couple defensive linemen. So it's a good list. Um, it's a good list. They've got a couple of younger guys from in-state, Davon Hall, um, the wide receiver from Bellevue West, and uh, Tyson Terry, who's a class of 2025 simple, 2025. 
That means he just finished his freshman year, 53 and 0 in wrestling, heavyweight champion as a freshman. Um, Where's this at? Omaha North. Oh, that's the Nor- Omaha North. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll be back. Um, so yeah, it's a, I, it's the biggest one and probably the most impressive visitor list they've had so far this year. Um, and they'll have another one, I think, on the 19th, and then so two Saturdays from now. Uh, and then they're going to actually start having official visitors, um, maybe depending on the transfer portal, maybe this month. But the first batch, the first big batch of official visitors will be uh, for the spring game in April. And David Borchers, who's a defensive tackle from Iowa, um, is coming this weekend for the junior day. Then he's coming back um, the weekend of the spring game for his official visit. Said Nebraska's recruiting him harder than anybody else. So, uh he said he, he could could take it all the way through his high school season or he could decide sooner. But I think if you were looking at if you were going to place a bet on the next guy to join the class, I mean, David Borcher is one of the only 23 guys we know with an official visit already on the books. Uh, he's coming twice in the next five weeks. And he says Nebraska's, um, you know, recruiting him more than anybody else at this point. So he'd be a good. So, candidate. so all, yeah. All told how many people here again, how many players here again this weekend? Uh, probably a dozen or so that they've offered scholarships to um, a handful that they could offer scholarships to. And then a bunch of uh, in-state kids too, that are probably further off the rate in terms of like getting a scholarship offer, but they'll have, and, a- and what, and, and what do you think is Malachi Coleman and Maverick Noonan? Is this, is this, are they going to pop pretty quick? I don't, Malachi Coleman told rivals, uh, national rivals reporter the other day um, that he might go till December. So now you never know. Um, sometimes kids think that way and then they change. Sometimes they stick to it. Um, but he's definitely, I mean, Mickey Joseph, when they made the rounds in January, um, Mickey Joseph went to Lincoln East and he told Malachi Coleman, he said, he said, the, the thing I'm going to promise, the one thing I'll promise you is that nobody in the country will recruit you harder than I'm going to. So, you know, I mean, and, and he's got, obviously, I mean, Malachi Coleman, if you don't know the story, I mean, he's a great kid. He's, he's doing NIL work to raise money for foster families uh, already. Um, he's just a really neat, neat guy. Um, I, I wrote today in this preview of this junior day, which you can find at journalstar.com slash Huskers. I don't think there's a more important kid in the country than Malachi Coleman for Nebraska at this point. I mean, really? Yeah. He's a freaky athlete. He's six, five. He could be a receiver or a edge rusher. Um, he's from here and the town loves him already. You know, I mean that there's, you don't get athletes like that out of Lincoln very often. Um, and given where they're at and, and the positions that he potentially projects to in college and then the kid himself and all that, like, yeah, he's a guy that Nebraska has to find a way to get in the class. And then be Newton, a, Newton's really sorry. kind of quiet about his recruitment. So we'll see how that, how that goes, but you'd have to think legacy and all that, that Nebraska will be tough to beat, but Stanford, I mean, hard to say no to. Yeah, seriously. Um, didn't mean to interrupt you there, Parker, but no, like, you're good. Malik guy's obviously a really talented kid, but that'd be like a massive PR win for the the program as well. Not not that you're recruiting for PR wins, but that's a, that you're going to build a lot of goodwill uh, in the fan base if you're able to win him. So yeah, that's and just then he, he watched. He posted something on uh, Twitter the other day of him just like very casually going up and windmill dunking a ball before a basketball game. Yeah, I mean, like he's a freak. Yeah, 
He's a freak show. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. Can, maybe he could play both receiver and pass rusher. Are we at that stage? We're in Nebraska. Anyway, maybe on the, and on the wing for for Fred and company. Yeah, that's the next. That's the next article coming from Parker. Can Malachi Coleman play two ways on the football team and also play small forward on the basketball team? <laughs> Journalstar.com slash Huskers. There it is. What if Look for it coming soon. A six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound edge rusher who also plays receiver would be interesting. <laughs> Nine and a half sacks and sixty six <laughs> catches for a thousand yards. <laughs> Averages eight points and six rebounds a game coming off the bench for the <laughs> basketball team, shooting sixty four percent from the field. You heard it here first. That's what's going to happen. Then hit, then hit two eighty four with six home runs for baseball over the second half of the baseball season in the spring, just for good measure. I don't even know if he plays baseball. He probably doesn't, but who knows? Speaking of basketball, should we talk a little hoops? Do it. Should we talk about the hottest basketball team in the country, your Nebraska Cornhuskers? What the hell is going on? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was saying the other night, Sipple, when I was watching them play Ohio State. What the hell is going on? Trev Alberts is a genius, first of all, or at least he looks like a genius right now. Um, uh, this this is the first time we've talked since the announcement came out last week that that uh, Trev announced that Fred Hoiberg will be back next season as Nebraska's coach with a restructured contract, very similar to what Scott Frost did for football. Fred has a, a quote-unquote plan he has presented to Trev. We'll probably see what that plan looks like after the season's over. I think you're going to see it cover a pretty wide range of things, whether it's staff or the way they recruit, the way they build the team, the type of player they recruit. I think it's, it's going to be Fred taking a look at everything, but we won't see those changes for a couple more weeks at least. But, yeah, since then, they've gone out. They played a really good game against Iowa, lost by 10 at home. Iowa themselves is red hot. Uh, lost that game by 10. Then just went and absolutely obliterated Penn State, like out of nowhere, at a place where they have never played well. Um, Tim Miles never won at Penn State, I don't believe. And, Fred and Fred's 2-0 and there. Fred's 2-0 and in the Bryce Jordan Center. Scored 93 points against the top scoring defense in the league and a team that plays one of the slowest tempos in the league, if not the slowest. I mean, it's, it's basically impossible to do what Nebraska did against Penn State. And you think, okay, well, that's great. It's Penn State. They're not great. Nebraska got hot once. You know, we all kind of thought they might have a game where they get hot and blow somebody out. They'll come back down to earth against Ohio State. Well, then what do they do against Ohio State? They shoot 56% in the first half. They lead by double digits in the second half. And they end up winning that game by eight points. And Bryce McGowan's has 26 and, and Verge has a double double. So yeah, they're, they're playing good basketball. I think if, if you asked Fred, he'd probably tell you, this is what he thought it would look like before the season, you know, and he, he talked about the shooting this team was going to have. They're going to be really good offensively. And we hadn't seen it. Well, we've seen it the last two games and look, it doesn't, it doesn't erase what happened the first 28. There's no doubt about that. They, they've caught a heater right now, and it's just happened to come at this time, and the timing of it's kind of funny. But still, you know, it, it's this is, I think, what Fred Hoiberg thought he was going to see. And unfortunately for him and unfortunately for Nebraska, it took 30 games to, to get there, essentially. But, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been fun to watch these guys the last couple of games. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how to drill. I don't know how to drill down on. Yeah, but if they keep, I would not be surprised if they keep this going. It would not surprise me the way they're playing. I, I thought it against Penn State, and I actually have thought it at times during the season. You're right, Bazo. They've been blown out in games. Yeah. They've looked horrible in games, like the down 34 against Northwestern at home. That's pretty bad, right? Um, 
42 to 10 run against Iowa. Iowa goes on a 42 10 run over the last 14 minutes. I think about that. Those games were two weeks ago, basically. Yeah. Those games were two weeks ago. Yeah. So it's weird. Like the, I don't know. It's a difficult conversation because if they keep winning, you are, there's going to be part of you says, okay, what, where was this and why did it take this long? You know, why Fred did it take this long for this to happen? Is this just what's going to happen with your teams? Because you, you bring in a bunch of guys and throw them together. Is this, is this, is this what, is this, I bet Fred would say what I, I know what I would say if I were Fred, well, we were, what were they? Two and 16 when they went on this little heater, two and 16, one and 16, one and 16. I would say we thought that we could get to like six and 11, you know, maybe we could get to seven and 10 and then go on a little heater, have things come together. That's what I'd say. And you know what? They weren't that far from, they're not, we're that far from that. Let's uh, we're going to scroll through the schedule right now. And um, you go back to the Big Ten opener at Indiana. They lost by 13, but they shot like 23% from the field. I mean, they, they, could, have, they could have won that game had they shot the ball. That's an okay field. example. You'll have better but, ones. No, th- there's better ones. Um, Ohio yeah. State, they led by five yeah. with 36 seconds left. Yeah. You know, Michigan State, they were right there until the last yep. three, four minutes, basically. Um, Illinois at home, lost it by 10. It was fairly competitive. Not a great example. Uh, the Indiana game, they lost at home by seven, you know, kind um, of a good example though. Remember, yeah. remember trace Jackson Davis went out for the last seven minutes. They also yeah. had their point guard in foul trouble. That was a game that I thought they should have got. Well, I think about this too. These games were all talking about. They didn't have Trey McGowan's for any of them either. So let's, let's keep that in mind too. They lose at home by two to Rutgers, a game they probably should have won. Should have won. They led a, a lot of, so that's, we'll say that's three games right there. Right there. Um, Michigan, they're, they lead that game by seven with, you know, less than 10 minutes left. You know, they lose by six. There's four. Now, um, the Northwestern loss is bad. Beat Minnesota. They get blown out by Iowa, Maryland, Northwestern again. Iowa had an 11-0 run over like three minutes, and that was basically yeah. the difference in that game, you know. You and could then, get it to three more. You could convince to be three. Yeah, you could, you, you could make a pretty good argument for three more. Now, all of a sudden, you're four and – 12 and now you've won two more and you're six and 12, you know, it's more so, acceptable. It's more palatable. Certainly. It's still not good, but it's more, it's more palatable. So yeah, they, they've had that. And it's the same thing we've talked about all year. They've had games where they're right there and they're, they've had games where you go, they just haven't finished it. And, but they, again, like you get blown out by Northwestern at home and, and you basically get blown out by them again, like, you know, a couple weeks later. You know, you lose by Michigan. Michigan's not any good. You lose to them by 30-plus, by 30 yeah, at 30, home. 30, yeah, 34. Yeah, you know, and you, you get blown out. And now Iowa's playing great basketball, but you lose to them by, like you said, you go up the 42-10 to 10 run. Maryland's not great. You lose by them to 16 at home. You know, oh, like, God, that was second half. That was, that, that's maybe – that Maryland game is sneakily maybe one of the worst games they've played all year. And the, the final score didn't show it, but it was really bad. So, yeah, they've, they've had these performances – these last two games especially, but also the ones where they're close. And then you just have these other ones where you go, what in the hell? Like, how does that happen? So, yeah, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's any way to put a, put a finger on it or, or get an idea of what's happening other than you know, they've, they've shot it well these last couple games and 
Penn State was easy. You didn't have to find a way to finish it off because you're up by so many points. But against Ohio State, you found a way to finish it. You hit your free throws down the stretch. Bryce McGowan's and Alonzo Birch got you a couple buckets down the stretch and you finished it off. So sometimes the the simplest explanation is the is the best one. And, and sometimes really good yeah. on, on offense the last couple. Of yeah, they've been good on offense. Shots have fallen, but they now I didn't I didn't see all of the Ohio State. I didn't see a lot of the Ohio State game, but they played good defense at Penn State. They did. Yeah, they did. I mean, they really did. They, they were, one, well, they started rebounding is what they did. Um, they were down 14-5 early in rebounds. And I think seven of Ohio State's first 14 rebounds were offensive. And they they basically played them even after that. I think they after that point, they had two fewer rebounds than Ohio State. And Ohio State wasn't making anything. Nebraska was forcing misses. They were getting rebounds after that. And that's part of playing. We've talked about this before, too. That's part of playing defense is getting a rebound to finish the possession. Yeah. So, didn't they only – I think Nebraska only turned it over four times, right? Had four turnovers. They did. Had they one did. in the second half, which is amazing when you think about what they were doing in the second half. They basically went – Ohio State switched its defense to where they were basically switching every screen. So Nebraska's offense became a deal where they were giving the ball to McGowan's or Verge and getting the switch they wanted and telling those two to attack the rim. And, like, we've seen Verge turn it over this year. We've seen McGowan's turn it over some this year. Those guys took care of it. They made the right decision. They made <laughs> – Excuse me. They they ran the offense so good, and they won by eight. They could have won that game by fifteen or twenty because they missed four in the second half when they're running this offense. Verge gets to the rim, McGowan's kicks to the rim. They had four times where they kicked it to a shooter that was just all alone in the corner. I mean, all alone, and they missed four wide open three pointers. You know, and they missed a layup. I mean, that's fourteen points. No, you're not going to make all of them, but well, if you make two of them and you make a layup. Let's say more points. You win that game by double digits. So it, it just tells you how well they executed offensively and defensively. Yes, but that's that's the other part of it. These guys, this is this was their third game in five days. They basically put in a game plan in an hour and a half uh, in a night practice the night before the game, and went out and executed it perfectly. And you got two wins to show for. Them. Yeah, it's interesting. Go ahead, Sybil. Oh, well, I was just gonna. I was just gonna real quick, Parker. Um, highlight that that four turnovers in the second half. I do a good job of pointing out all their weaknesses. Having four turnovers against the 23rd ranked team in the country on the road in the second half is, a, or in the game, total. yeah, the game yeah, total. Yeah. That's a remarkably good stat. Only had one in the second half. Yeah. That, that is that is incredible. I mean that now yeah. that tells you a lot. I mean that does speak to a level of discipline with the ball, a, le- a high level actually. And 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 it speaks to them knowing what they want to do. So where again, where's it been? I don't want to make it negative. I don't want to make a positive and negative. But that that is I'm not going to say that's a freak stat because that's a I mean, that's that's indicative of a lot. And four turnovers on the road against a 23rd ranked team is that's a remarkable achievement. It is. And we can be real about it, too. Wisconsin or excuse me, Ohio State was shorthanded. And Chris Holtman made some questionable substitutions. At one point, he put in a walk-on at forward for a few minutes, like out of nowhere. Um, they had Jimmy Sotos as their backup point guard, who's better known for his exploits on TikTok than what he yeah, does Yeah, he's on crazy on Twi- ki- TikTok. Yeah. yeah. TwikTok. TwikTok. <laughs> Parker. TwikTok. TwikTok. There it is. <laughs> Bookface. <laughs> All right. What did you want to add? There? No, 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 no. It's just, it's just Ohio state 
Nebraska gets all the credit in the world for winning the game on the road because they haven't done and they deserve all the credit. But the reality of it is too, Ohio state was down a couple guys. Holtman did some weird substitution stuff and Ohio state didn't play its best game on top of that. So that's the other part of it. I don't feel like Nebraska played great in the first half in that game and they were still up and it still shot 56%. So it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. Now they get to go play the Big Ten champions on Sunday uh, with the chance to keep them out of the chance to keep them away from an outright Big Ten title. Um, Nebraska somehow is still alive to not be the 14th seed in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, they've got to beat Wisconsin and they need Minnesota to lose to Northwestern on Sunday. They're the 13th seed, which makes my life easier because that means I get the early game on Wednesday next week. But yeah, I mean, there's they've still got stuff to play for. You know, it's not a lot, but. You can you can you spoil the Ohio State. You can spoil it for Wisconsin. You can help yourself. You can get a little positive vibe going into this this offseason where it looks like you're going to have a lot of change, and and you go from there. So yeah, it's it's been it's it's fun to see those guys enjoy what they're doing. We haven't seen yeah. a whole lot. So, Thank you for you know, saying. And at at the end of the day, like we cover the team, whatever. It's got to be fun for those guys. There's been a lot of times this year it has not been very fun. There's been a lot of times when Derek Lockers come in there after they get beat by 25 or 30 and had to answer questions about it, or, or Trey McGowan's or whoever it is, or Alonzo Verge, you know, having to kind of face it, whether it's on social media or whatever. So they're getting paid fast. They're fine. They're professionals. Yeah, they're professional athletes. Yeah, all <laughs> every single one of them is getting paid. So I'm sure Jackson Cronin's making the same amount of money as Bryce McGowan's is. So How many questions has probably... Jackson Cronin answered about their one in 16 start? This yeah. Time? You can probably guess the answer to that. So the, uh, what the thing, the thing I was going to add was, uh, well, actually two things. One is very quick. Ohio, Ohio state went into last weekend in contention for a big 10 title and then lost to Maryland and Nebraska back to back. So yeah. not great for the Buckeyes. Uh, the other thing is, it's interesting, guys. I've seen more of this among Hoops fans the last few days. Dangerous. I mean, it's 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 a conversation you can only have to some extent right now because of the extent of not only what could happen in terms of staff and all of that, but also like transfers and, and college hoops just sort of go hand in hand at this point. But it's been interesting to me because I've watched the last couple of games in part wondering what, who's going to be back and what it's going to look like. Like, who, who is this benefiting right now? Benefits everyone in the moment because it's more fun to win than lose. But then I, I watch a guy like Wilcher, you know, and CJ Wilcher and think like, man, this is probably assuming he comes back. And, and I think Fred said recently, you know, he's an important part of the future and all that. Like, for a guy like him, I mean, I think it makes a big difference in terms of going into the offseason and where he can get better. And he shot the ball so well in Big Ten play. And then you start thinking about, like, I mean, honestly, like, who else from the group? Maybe Derek Walker, if he wants a, a, to use the extra year. Um, some of the really young guys, maybe. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of interesting to, like, Wilcher has just jumped out to me as a guy who it's like, I'm not saying they're going to build the whole program around him next year. But in terms of the guys who are, like, on the floor a lot for Nebraska right now, who you know that they – a want to have be a big part of the future and B realistically might come back. Um, mm-hmm. He seems like one of the, one of the guys, one of the core guys sort of going. Critical. CJ Wilcher. Yeah, go ahead. Go CJ Wilcher in big 10 games in big 10 games alone, you're shooting 43% from three point range. 
and has the second most attempts on the team behind Bryce McGowan's uh, in, in Big Ten play. It's 32 for 74 in Big Ten could play. He's shooting over 40% for the season. What's he overall? How many, how many threes does, does he have? 50? He's got uh, here just a second here. He's made 32 in Big Ten play. He's made 50 overall, second all time among freshmen uh, at behind, Nebraska behind um, uh, Joe McCray. Behind Joe McCray. Joe McCray. Yeah, made 80. Joe McCray made 80. Yeah, Joe McCray yeah. made 80. Yeah. CJ, Joe McCray CJ ain't getting there, but Joe McCray made 80. <laughs> In, and then I think he basically ate himself out of the lineup and on. He did. Yes. Yeah. And, and he one feasted time from I had, the three point line and then he feasted at the Valentino's buffet. No, no. I saw him literally feasting at Dairy Queen one time. I had the grandkids there and there, Joe McCray sitting in a booth eating a big old Sunday. I'm like, Joe, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, that's, that's the wrap on you. Yeah. Yeah. You eat too much. Joe, uh, Joe outgrew his role at Nebraska, literally. So, <laughs> yeah. He was a great yeah. shooter, though. Um, yeah. He was. He was. He made eighty threes. It's insane. What it reminded me of Dan Billy Waldrop. Do you remind, remember Dan Billy Waldrop? Best. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Billy Waldrop. Yeah. He was an offensive lineman. Parker back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. So when it would have been early two thousands when Jamal Lord was a quarterback, and it was back when we could like talk to players a lot, <laughs> and and we were and we were just. Um, uh, kind of shooting the breeze in the hall, one of the hallways over there. And he was telling me where he lived. He lived off Holdridge Street in 27th. I said, Oh, do you like it over there? And he goes, Yeah, I'm walking distance from the Dairy Queen. <laughs> 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 Big Dan. And he was, he was. There used to be a Dairy Queen on the corner of 27th and Holdridge. Um, I, I'd go over there quite a bit. But the, but yeah, Dan. <laughs> That was the first thing he said. Yeah, I'm walking distance from the Dairy Queen. <laughs> so funny. I, what if Joe McCrave was listening to this podcast and was like 45 minutes or 50 minutes of just like total normalcy, and then suddenly, yeah, like, oh, well, we he just went off on Joe McCrave gorging himself at the Dairy Queen. Just, oh, just like 45 minutes in, he would have not been anticipating any 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 uh, slant Joe McCrave slander on. No, and, and nothing. To, I mean, we're no, heaping I, him. I know, I know. We're heaping some praise. The guy made 83s. Now he was a big dude, though. I mean, he was. Yeah. I mean, he's a big dude. He was big. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a stat right now. This is in Big Ten play. We mentioned CJ Welcher shooting 43 percent. Alonzo Verge is shooting 38 percent from three and three in in Big Ten play. Uh, Trey good. McGowan's limited attempts shooting 39 percent from three. Um, Kobe Webster shooting 35 percent. You know, they've got guy, the guys that they thought were going to shoot it have shot it a lot better for them. In three they just started bad. It's, I know it's odd, right? Because uh, if all those guys are shooting those percentages in Big Ten play, like how did they start one in 16? Yeah, I know. It's just you know, amazing. That's, it's sort of the like when you see it, they shoot the ball well, pretty well. I and mean, it's not like they, like you said, Baz, they missed a bunch of open threes against Ohio State too. But like, see them shoot the ball better and they win a couple of games. You're like, oh, it's that easy. But then when you look at it, it's like, you know, you got to rebound, you got to play defense too if you're going to win yeah. regularly in the Big the, Ten. This, the seeds for this have kind of been getting sown for probably the last month, month and a half. Like you could see kind of some signs, and they didn't always play well, and, and we've covered that. But you could kind of see some of the signs just from a <clears throat> just from a shooting percentage standpoint. You can see things were turning a little bit. Now the effort wasn't always there, the defense wasn't always there, you know, all that other stuff that matters wasn't always there, but you could see, you could see at least there was some signs of life with the offense. And now I think what you've seen is they've, they've kind of matched the defense. They've matched the rebounding for that these last couple of games and you, you see the results from it. 
So, I mean, that's, that's what it is. Hey, yeah, now, but, if they if they were playing Wisconsin at home, when's that game? When is that game? Sunday, 1 p.m. That would get game. This fan base is so hungry. That game would be sold out right now. It would be. It would be. If it were a home. If it were a home. You're play, you've got a chance Am to I wrong? ruin a Big Ten title. No. You've got a chance to ruin an outright Big Ten title for a, for a school and a program that has <laughs> done you dirty basically since you joined the, the Big Ten and, and a lot of sports. Um, you, you've got a team that's playing well. You've got the probable freshman of the year probably playing his last home game, if this game was at home. Um, the probable freshman of the year in the Big Ten playing probably his last home game uh, in Pinnacle Bank Arena. So, yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't be a no-sit-Sunday situation. But, yeah, it'd be sold out. And it'd be fun. It'd be a lot of fun. So, we'll see. We'll see. Parker? Well, they went well, – no, well, they went Sunday. I mean, probably not. You know, I think Ken Palm puts like an 11% chance or something like That's that. That's a but bad was, percentage. That's a bad it was percentage. Nine percent against Ohio, it was 9% against Ohio State. It's a bad percentage. I'm not – I'm saying 30. I mean, I give them a 30% chance. It's, I'm fascinated by that because Wisconsin's playing for something, but they also just had this amazing win over Purdue and hit a exactly. part of exactly. that. So there's yeah. kind of two things at play there, I think. So, look, they've got a shot. They just they just beat number 23 on the road, and they just kicked the crap out of Penn State on the road. That's not an easy thing to do. So, yeah, they got a shot, absolutely. I don't know. When do they put out betting lines for uh, college games? Because it won't be till probably Saturday for that. Saturday. Yeah, I was curious. Most of the time, you know, you see the betting lines and they're I mean, a lot of times the betting lines in college hoops are right in line with the analytics. Like if you look yeah. at if you look at the spread on Ken Palm, the betting line is typically pretty close. I wouldn't be that surprised if this one's a little different for exactly the reason Sipple said. I mean, you know, Ken Palm might put it at 14, you know, 12, 14 points, something like that. But it doesn't doesn't feel like that just because, I mean, what, what we just said. So it'll be, I mean, I, the thing I'm curious about is, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go win the Big Ten tournament or anything like that, but you know, they, they feel like, and they should feel like they can win Wednesday and, and Thursday or whatever. And, and that's sort of like, I'll be curious to see what they look like on the floor in Indy. If they're playing like a team, that doesn't want to go home and be done. You know, if they, if they're, if they're playing with their hair on fire, you know, Sunday, obviously, but, but more like an in Indy, just be, just, I think that approach will be interesting. It's, yeah. Bigger stage at Indy, you know, um, and yes, you'd like to beat Wisconsin, like you said, but look, it, it happened a couple of years ago with Nebraska. We saw it. They took seven dudes up there, eight dudes. And, we're basically one shot away from making the conference semifinals, playing a walk on like 30 minutes. So straight, if it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could certainly win one game and maybe a couple up there. And I, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. They might go up there and lose Wednesday night and be done. Uh, we'll see, but they've at least, there's at least the possibility that they could w- win these games. And we weren't saying that two weeks ago, you know, we, we thought the season was going to be over real quick. And now They've at least given you a reason to tune in and, and stay interested here for the. For but I mean, the thing is, it's legit reason. They they yes. they won yes. two games on the road. <laughs> I mean, I'd never. I thought Penn State was going to be a bad matchup because oh, yeah. Penn, because Penn State's a tough team on and and it's on the road. But man, it was not even Nebraska just shred. Wasn't close. Right. Yeah. So I I there I I think if you're a opposing Big Ten coach. You're looking at Nebraska going, okay, they're scary. I hope I can get my guys to understand that that's a scary team right now. Yeah. Um, 
and I don't want to, I don't like the pen. It feels like my, my pendulum swinging a little too much. I called for Fred to be fired. I still think he should have been. And now I'm saying, Oh, now look, they can go on a run. Well, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a complex discussion. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, I'm interested, like whatever happens these next couple of weeks, let's let, let's just hypothetically say they beat Wisconsin on Sunday and then they go win two games in Indianapolis and are competitive in a third, but they lose. You know, they play whoever. Tough yeah, yeah, teams. yeah. How much does that change what happens in the offseason? Well, yeah, does Fred go to Trevin? That's exactly say, right. You know that plan we talked about? Here it is. Yeah. It's in threads because I'm yeah. keeping everything the same. You know? Yeah, look, it worked the last couple of weeks. Now, yeah. Trev's going to come back and say, well, why didn't it work the first three months? What <laughs> happened to the Trev's first gonna... 25 games? Yeah, Trev's right. going to be exactly right. When what he happened to that. the first 70 games? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, Trev's going to be right, but you wonder, like, if they just caught it, like, and I'm talking like a completely absurd heater, beat Wisconsin, win two or three in Indy, you know, make this thing just look totally bizarre. Like, does that change anything that happens in the offseason? Probably not, but it maybe maybe plants a seed in somebody's head. Yeah. Now, the only thing I'd say is I'm not saying, I don't even know if it's absurd. I mean, like, They've shown signs the last three games. I, I don't know if it's absurd or not. Yeah. I don't know if it'll wouldn't happen. That, wouldn't, that be something if, wouldn't it be something if they were playing for a Big Ten tournament title next Yeah, Sunday? that'd be something because I'd have to go to – where is this, in Indy? Indy where is uh, it? <laughs> like, what if they're have 40 to figure minutes out away – tournament. Yeah. What if they're 40 minutes away from making the NCAA tournament? <laughs> What if they're that 15? And, what if they're 15 and 21 or 14 and 21 and playing for a bid to the NCAA tournament? That wouldn't be, be bizarre. Perfectly fitting with the way the world's gotten. Um, so yeah, yeah from that it's, standpoint. Look, it, it's that? not George, gonna happen. It's not Georgetown, happen. Georgetown was nine and twelve last year in conference and then ripped off four in a row and went. And then in uh I was thinking about this yesterday, that's why I know this. In uh 08. Georgia was four and twelve in the SEC, and then they they ripped off four in a row and made the tournament as a fourteen seed. Georgia was a fourteen seed. Wasn't that the year there was a, like a tornado in Georgia and Georgia had to play two games in one day at the SEC? <laughs> really? Oh uh, yeah. Both? yeah, yep. Yeah. They beat Kentucky in overtime on Saturday, March fifteenth, two thousand eight, and then they beat Mississippi State by four later the same day. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, was, I remember that. Like a tornado hit the Georgia Dome, and they had to move it to like Georgia Tech's campus. I shouldn't laugh; it's not really funny, but it, that's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Funny. Yeah, like they they had to. It was AAU ball. They had to win two games in one day, and they did it. Yeah. Right, let's let's to, gloss over. Gloss over baseball. Let's gloss really over fast. baseball today. Let's gloss over baseball. Baseball uh, is one in six after getting swept at TCU last weekend. Again, they are still on the bus uh, heading south. They might be into Texas by now. Probably close. We've been talking for hours and they're still on the bus. They're still on the bus. It's, it's, and again, I said at the top of the podcast that the game will test you, as Will Bolt said. You're one and six. You're, you're pitching, your starting pitching is in shambles. You, your coach got tossed after the last game and will have to sit out the first game on Friday uh, after Bolt was arguing a call. Yeah. They got screwed. They got screwed. They got screwed. Now you sit on a bus for 12 hours. You're going to practice tonight. 
And then you're going to get up and play a double header starting Friday morning at 11. And then you're going to get up Saturday and do the same damn thing against two different teams. Then you're going to bus back to Lincoln and then you're going to get on a bus Tuesday and go down and play Kansas state. So there it's fascinating for being seven games into the year for baseball. They're in an interesting spot right now. And they they've, uh, this, this could, I think, kind of serve as a get-right weekend for them. The, the competition we're going to see isn't quite the caliber of what they've seen. And that's not to say they're going to go down there and breeze through this thing by any means, but <coughs> they're not playing a TCU. They're not playing a Sam Houston. Um, so a chance to maybe build a little momentum. They're going to shake up the starting rotation a little bit. Cody Frank's going to start the first game on Friday, which I really like. That's a guy that's been really solid for them. The Saturday guys are to be determined. We'll see what that looks like. But, yeah, it's it's – if you're looking for an early, maybe kind of pivot point in the season, I think you could point to this weekend. They might be able to get a lot out of this. God, good. Hey, that was a good late sales job there, Mickey Joseph. That was, yeah, that you're right. This is pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, if they go down, look, they should go down there. If they win three of them or four of them, great. You're back on track. You're four and seven, five and six. You feel a little better about yourself. You, know, you went all four, you feel great. If you lose, if you go two and two or one and three again and you're pitching struggles again, oh boy, now, now you got a problem. And so, yeah, it's 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 sneakily kind of a huge weekend for Nebraska baseball. Yeah. Good good one, Baz. Is that a good glossing over? Good gloss over. That was All a good right. gloss over. That was a long one. We went over yeah, an hour. hour plus. Yeah, hour plus. Thanks for thanks for everyone who stuck through it to the end with us. Uh, I won't go this long every time, but there's lots to talk about, and, and we'll do it again next week.